Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. I'm Alison Humphreys. I'm delighted for all listeners who are joining us again. And I think you'll love this one. I'm My guest today is the fantastic Wendy McDougall, who is CEO of Firefish. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Alison. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure, indeed. So uh, in case anybody hasn't heard of Firefish, um, I'm just going to give a little bit of background on Wendy. So Wendy, your recruitment career has lasted a long time, I think about 25 years. Yeah. Um, and starting with recruitment roles in TMP, Hudson, and you then actually founded and sold your own recruitment business in Glasgow within a 10 year cycle, which is a great achievement and moved on to found Firefish. Yes. Now, um, Firefish is a combined CRM, ATS and marketing software, which is one yeah. of the reasons I love it. And today, uh, Wendy's finally going to share with us some of her thoughts on both the the tools, the tech, if you like, and the content of BD, which is a big theme for most people at the moment. So without further ado, let me just set the scene with my first question, Wendy. We're in an environment where many recruiters have suddenly found that they can't feed themselves, certainly with comparison to last year. And... In many cases, it is simply a lack of experience of BD or, or, you know, just reluctance. But what else do you think is happening in the market that has brought about that change for people? Yeah, I mean, it has. I mean, it's a different, I mean, it shouldn't, I suppose recruiters are probably going, oh, it's suddenly changed. But actually, we could see the build up for this happening. And if you think about it pre-COVID, we've now been, what, three or four years where We've come out from nothing to boom years where, to be honest, you didn't need to be excellent at recruiting to be able to make money. Because mm-hmm. as long as you were able to find a candidate, you would probably find them a job in most sectors. So now the tables have switched. You know, we know that, for example, trending this year over last year, perm jobs are 35% down. So that means that we're going to have to hunt and we're going to actually have to think about, you know, who is hiring and creating those opportunities rather than those opportunities just naturally coming to us. So that that's kind of the context of why the change has happened. I think why a lot of people are struggling, as you mentioned, Alison, we've got sort of a lot of younger recruiters or not younger in terms of age, but fresher recruiters coming in, trying the industry and, you know, their skill set that they had trained up on last year is very different to the skill set that they need now. So there's, Mm. why is that? Well, there's a reluctance to, you know, feeling as though calling it business development sounds scarier than talking to candidates. Now, I always find that quite interesting because at the end of the day, you're talking to the same people, it's just a person, but it's for a different purpose. And that feels like it's more scary. Then you do have a situation where, you know, a lot of people 
pre-COVID, you could get to reception and the, you know, the main skill was getting through the gatehouse or the gatekeeper mm -hmm. there and getting through reception. But actually nowadays, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've called a lot of companies, you are just on a automated voicemail situation and it's almost become quite acceptable just to leave a message because nobody was able to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. So that becomes quite harder to then get to the direct decision making as well. So that's changed. And that's even changed for the established recruiters as to getting in touch with those that could have an opportunity to get. And I, I think it's also we've got sort of fresh and I will do this more in terms of gen and, and younger in terms of recruiters coming through where, you know, the phone to you and I was just natural. We were never off it in our childhood, but it's becoming something that we're never off it. But for all the wrong reasons, we're just texting and we're communicating with WhatsApps or SMSs rather than actually communicating verbally. So I think that's mm. also one of the challenges there too. Yes, yes. Um, and I've I've noticed that quite a lot. That it's look, it is easier for people to reject advances that are made online mm -hmm. than by direct human contact, isn't it? <laughs> um, and in a couple of clients that I'm currently working with, we've actually identified that. We need to completely start again training people how to how to do face-to-face -face meetings with clients and speaking to them rather than online communication. And they've had a lot of success when they get out of the office because they're, they're actually behaving in an unusual way. And very mm -hmm. few recruiters now present themselves face-to-face. -face. Now, if you work in an international market, that's not very practical, is it? But, you know, if you are UK-based, you can always make sense of doing a series of face-to-face -face meetings that will genuinely pick you out from other recruiters. Just on that, Alison, I think that yeah. actually now the opportunities of getting people together, you know, events are coming back. Mm. Um, you know, we had a lovely event last week, etc. as well. So there, there mm. are opportunities within the sectors now to bring people together. And if that's mm. not happening, what I am seeing some successful agencies doing is creating their own events or getting and actually putting more of their budget into that. So they're creating that environment yeah. for that face-to-face -face interaction to happen. And I think that's also where we should be thinking as well. Yes, good point, thank you. Now, when I first came across Firefish years and years ago, I partly became aware of it because your own sales and marketing, I think is excellent. In fact, I consistently uh, value the very high quality of the content that you guys put out from direct from Firefish. So although you're not selling exactly the same thing as most of our listeners, I think they would be interested to hear about your guiding beliefs about content, what you think works and would work for uh, for them as well. Yeah, I mean, if I put it into, into context for you, why I did this, because it seems that some people um, in the years, probably yourself as well, and it's it's maybe a downside of being so good maybe at some of the content because I do value our content I think it's something that Firefish does really well is that most people thought that we were actually a, a marketing agency that provide content for other recruiters rather than actually selling the CRM that we sell and um, so it gone maybe a little bit the, the other way but the reason why we did that in the first place was that you know I you know we started this company and we're sitting in Scotland and mm. the majority of my business would be down in London Mm -hmm. But for us to be able to go out and compete, now this is now 14 years ago, to compete with all the other competitors that were down in London, you know, that was going to be very costly 
in terms of getting there and also you know going to expos and things like that was the way that our competitors at that time were presenting themselves that you know spending 20k twice a year was just not on our budget Mm. when you think about it in terms of our business it's like running a temp desk it's running a contract desk it's building it up accumulatively so I had to think about a different way that that external reason forced me to think differently and I think that's one of the things that I like is that if you're forced to think differently, you will be creative in your own business. And so that forced me to think about how can I reach that mass audience without the cost? And actually, apart from content in terms of the people that you're employing to create that content, you know, it can be done very cost effectively. You know, look what we're doing right now, Alison, in terms of, and I know you've come onto my crowdcast before as well, and we've shared insights and people have got to know us. And it's a safe way to build that relationship, get to know both of us, get to know our companies. And it's almost like dating without actually spending any money and paying the bill. And then they can start to then invest in you and get to know you. And that's the way I looked at it. How can I get mass audience, be able to feel comfortable about wanting to get to know us? And I think that can be taken in terms of that approach very much across the board for recruiters. It is a good way of being able to allow that initial touch point at a sort of mass audience that that agency is trying to um, appeal to for them to get to know a the recruiter and the firm and I think also this really helps the challenge that you brought up before is that how do we get business development to start up again that engine and get it going I think a responsibility actually does lie a lot with the recruitment owners it's not just about hey let's get a recruiter in let's throw a wee bit of training at them let's make sure then they'll sink or swim. You know, that that's just not going to cut it. A lot mm-hmm. of people, even for the best ones, probably within three months, they're going to be questioning their job and want to go away and do something else that feels easier. But if we look at content in a different way as a series of assets, a series of tools that gives a purpose for that recruiter to contact. So you're getting the first hit, like you put out a blog, you put out a webinar, you put out a crowdcast, you put out some sort of content, you get mm-hmm. that first um, first sort of market out, mass market, whoever's interested starts to then understand it. But you're also then giving that content to then your recruiters to be able to say, hey, I saw you were doing this. We did a crowdcast, we've done an ebook, we've done a piece of, you know, like data survey, et cetera, with some stats in it, because everybody likes some stats that I think you'll find really helpful. My gosh, how good is that comparison to, I'm sure you get it as well, and I do. I get probably at least five a day, if not 10 a day now, recruiters, because they see what you're hiring, you know, just contact me on LinkedIn and saying, hey, have you got any jobs? And unfortunately, I just think, you know, come on, industry, we can do better than that. So that yes. allows me to get to know them with content. So that's the sort of like undersign, you know, that's how I think marketing and sales and a business okay. development can really work in tandem. Right. Okay. So I love that. It's the idea that we we show that we, we've actually researched the, the prospect, if you like, and then start by helping, not selling. Yeah. Adding by value. Providing that content. That's my mantra is that everybody has to come on board and every interaction that you do, you've got to add value. Mm-hmm. And if you've added value, then somebody's going to think, thank you for your time. And they're going to come back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when your team produce content mm-hmm. for Firefish, are there any sort of guidelines that you ask them to observe about the, you know, what's actually in them in those messaging? 
Yeah, and it's actually it's funny because we're just about I've got a new head of marketing that well, it's not new actually. He's um he's been there for a couple of years and now he's going to be freshening that up because content is changing. But I'm going to talk about sort of maybe the last 10 years just so mm-hmm. that we know what worked then and, and what what's still working right now. Um so I ran it now, um people laugh, but I don't mind sharing. Um and please don't um decide that I am um the person that was in Devil Wears Prada. But if you've ever seen that, I love that because that gave me the insight of how to run a magazine. Uh-huh. And they had a content monthly curation um meeting where they all came and they all brought their ideas. So mm-hmm. everybody that came into my business from the very, very um, first day, they knew that they were coming in to do a job, but they were also coming in to create content. Now they mm-hmm. didn't need to be great writers, editors. We would have somebody that would be the editor to help them with that, but they did need to bring some ideas that was worthy putting down on paper or on video or something. And that was part of their job. Oh. So. Every month that they came in, everybody in the company, now it's not so much now from like developers or for other people that are more back back uh, back office side, but from a customer support to um, the, the marketing side and the sales side and the demo side, they, that's part of their job. So every month they sit down, we look at, um, we've done it in themes. So we've tried to sort of give a different theme that we've got, but we find that just got a bit repetitive. We basically have four different areas that we write content about, and then we persona it. So we look at each of those areas that you write content about, which is for an agency owner, which one's for a recruiter, which one's for a marketeer. And we do, because our decision makers are agency owners, so we do a couple of a couple of um, uh, pieces that are largely the ebook, the more sort of valuable, the heavier sort of content for our agency owners. And we have like a just for fun uh, piece of for the recruiters to help them have fun at their job. And that's the aim. And another piece that will help them do some sort of thing to do with recruitment. So it could be business development. It could be writing a blog and we break all of that down. So that's the guideline in terms of who you're writing to Uh and what sort of themes then that you're writing to within each of those areas. Um, And we all then sort of sell our ideas and put them into the grid and that get us set. We all sort of brainstorm and say, no, that's rubbish or that's great. Um, and then we lock it down as to the month's editorial content that goes through and one person right. runs it. OK, so brilliant points there. I love the fact that you get everybody, mm-hmm. uh, almost everybody, mm-hmm. producing content or contributing to it. Because um, so often it's left to either a marketing agent. One person, yeah. One or person who, because they're not necessarily having a lot of direct contact with clients or candidates, they, they're not getting any genuine feel for what's current or how things are changing, are they? Um, and the other thing I've noticed is that sometimes with some of my um, early stage clients, they are reluctant to put the time and effort into a regular content pieces going yeah. out because they can't measure any feedback on it. Which is where you can measure that. You see, I think that's the difference is that, and I think that was the part where, from a tech point of view, it's sort of almost on different platforms and you don't see the results. So, you know, I am a recruiter, so I can say that in the past, you know, you're, you know, you're similar as well. We have short attention spans. And if we're not getting a result pretty quickly, then why bother? But actually, if you're able to start to show those sort of results coming in and the top of the funnel stats, just as you do in terms of your KPIs at the bottom of the funnel in terms of CVs out to interviews to such and such, then it starts to become important. Right. So what do you how do you measure the impact of your content? 
So effectively what we're looking at is we look at a first hit. So when we're sending out to a male shot, we'll look at how many people are, and we'll go into that traditional in terms of opens um, and then you know actual people that have read it. But we'll also have a call to action on every single piece of content that we come out. So actually the real measurement there is how many people are downloading that content um, mm -hmm. in terms of taking it and then doing something else with it. Mm -hmm. That then goes into, and we'll know the stats from like, one in every seven persons that hits our website will engage with something, okay? The rest of it will then come back and keep engaging. But within mm -hmm. a year, they will probably have either hit the demo page or they will have, you know, continued to be just downloading content, but they will be warm enough for saying, well, I've downloaded five pieces of content. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that 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 instigates they're ready for a quick call on how are you enjoying the content and are you thinking about sort of moving? Now, that's very SaaS orientated. So I'm going to take it back to recruitment mm. because that's obviously, I think, is your your audience there. So what, what we're trying to do here is think about different contents for a recruitment agency that allows you to get to know them. And if you think about that in terms of what content will allow them to get to know, what will also make you more credible? So there's the easiest one is that you have you are a data business, you have access to salary information, benchmarking information, and you can you are the pulse of what's happening in that market. So hiring managers are going to be interested in what's happening. So a quarterly download on that will give you that engagement in candidate side on the can. Oh, sorry, in the client side, in the candidate side, every single advert that you put out is a content piece. And you can then see out of all your candidates who are engaging with that, who are looking at it, who are converting. Mm -hmm. So you can also then see which adverts are good and which ones you should, you know, you should boost up or which ones can you do to get more sort of at candidates coming in in terms of making sure that you're uh, distributing that across your channels as well. So it can actually get quite scientific, you know, mm. from that perspective. Mm. So that's how we would measure it in that area okay. at the top of the funnel. And then it goes into the mid funnel in order to get ready. And it could be that somebody sits there for potentially three years before they're ready to come and engage. But when they engage, the cycle in terms of sales cycle is about half the time as one person that comes that one to seven that goes straight from one to seven to a demo that just hits right. their website and says demo. So that other six, we're then not losing the, the, the juice on that and we're keeping them warm to then convert. Okay, right. So some really good points there. And that there is progress towards a buying decision. But yeah. by the time you speak, it may be that someone's already halfway through the buying process and the thinking, isn't it? You made another really good point there, Wendy, thank you, about customer personas mm -hmm. and segmenting your audience, if you like, um, to into individual groups and addressing them at, at the, about the challenges, for example, that may be touching them. Yeah. Uh, um, do you have, um, based on your ob observations of uh, recruitment businesses trying to do this, mm -hmm. do you have any advice for them about segmenting their uh, customer base? Yeah, keep it simple. Prospect base. Yeah, Sorry. so keep it simple first. I think when somebody goes on this journey, and we've actually got, we've, we do have an ebook. I don't know if you want to sort of put a link, but there is one about personas in recruitment that you can go and download. So no problem in, in sharing that for your users as well. Um, but but what I what I've seen in terms of some of the mistakes that people do 
is that they go, right, let's prospect them. And you've got so many different job titles out there that you think you've got to persona it into those different job titles and have a different persona for that. Well, let me tell you, you're never going to be able to write content for each of those personas. So what's the point? Okay. So the, the first thing I would be saying is just look at it in terms of who is your decision maker? Mm -hmm. you know within and if you are multi-sectored business then yes you know keep it to your sector because that means that it's a decision maker within the sector so you're going to write stuff that's sector orientated for that decision maker that's going to be really valuable and that's going to be um uh, really um use you know useful as a guide to be able to deliver uh, good content and um, the, the next level is really then you know okay somebody that you've got candidates and you might have somebody that it wants to just get to know you but you they might influence your decision makers so mm -hmm. it might be that you've got an owner of business but they don't deal with recruitment so it could be like the recruitment administrator or it could be a team lead but doesn't actually influence who which agency they use mm -hmm. so that's one like that's how we talk about you as recruiters out there as well you're not somebody that's going to buy our software but boy do you influence the decision of a crm so we make sure that you are getting to know us on that mass market to be able to influence and we tend to do things like you know why why if you're not getting enough candidates you know through the normal channels why using an agency would be good or better uses of an agency how to get the most out of an agency or when you're looking at an agency you know could be other content ideas of you know how to ask the right questions to qualify that agency for that job if you're mm -hmm. doing that then all you need is that recruiter to walk up to their de your, your manager's desk and say by the way this looks really helpful and it's got your branding all over it as well. So you can get mm. introductions. So don't underestimate that. But I would say that for personas, you know, for the size of scale that we are, you know, we have four personas. So, so stick to three or four at the start and do really well with those ones and make sure that those are the ones that either buy or influence your market. I know, Wendy, you and I have previously discussed some of the abuses of automation and now AI. Um, and how people are not putting sufficient thought and effort into how they use it, basically. Are you able to identify, apart from what we've already mentioned, I people just spamming you because they think you're managing a recruitment business rather than a CRM ATS yeah. business. Can you identify anything else that you would advise listeners to avoid doing in their sales and marketing process? Yeah. So, I mean, there are, there, there's so much and you can just tell. And listen, I'm a real fan of, you know, ChatGPT, AI. It's embedded in our technology. I love the fact that that can save, but it can also be, as you said there, Alison, um, quite dangerous in their own hands. So recent ones. Well, I think there's a trend right now that we almost seem to be, and I'm seeing it a lot just now, that we have to bribe people to spend time with them. It's becoming quite gimmicky very quickly. I don't know who's going out and teaching that just now. And I think it's coming from America because the last one that I really love, which I actually did get, I did decide to respond to, is that, you know, he's going to make it worth my while to spend, you know, an hour um, meeting face-to-face and um, because he's going to bring me a cookie, right? And well, I went, great, bring it along. Because he's sitting out in Texas. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, really? You know, I'm based in Glasgow. I think that's yes. going to be quite difficult for you. That, and your cost to acquire for that price of yeah. cookie to fly over and bring it to me? Well, yeah, of course, I'll give you half an hour, but I don't think you're really going to do it. So I think that's <laughs> an amusing one that I've seen. And actually, it's just in the last, when, when you're asking me about this, it's in the last two weeks, I've seen like three or four of those I'll make it worth your while. I'm going to bribe you. 
really, are we getting to the stage where we've got to bribe people to spend half an hour with them? I hope not. I hope that you could be asking, you know, like deciding that you've got more value to provide before that. Yes. Um, I think there's the usual ones as well, you know, in terms of, you know, just your mail merges. This isn't even anything to do with the AI, but, you know, your data needs to be correct before you start putting it into any automation because, you know, the number of times it's like either hi, mister, or it's hi, missus, or it's hi, the wrong name, or there's no name there at all. I mean, it's just a telltale sign that I'm not going to spend any time with this just now because it's not been personalized. It's not somebody that's actually thought about it. And they've got no idea what we do. Yeah, they've done a two-word search in LinkedIn and just sprayed it out. Yeah. And um, you make a really important point there about the levels of personalization. If you look at like so many walks of life, our all the, the communications that are aimed at us are unbelievably personalized, aren't they? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, look at oh, at a very basic level, look at the way Tesco Club Card uses customer data. Um and um, likewise you know the those uh, personalized talking to you now adverts that pop up mysteriously when you've just been discussing so something like the day before it's amazing isn't it so there's almost no excuse now exactly for awesome. bad targeting yeah, yeah I was just going to say there is no excuse and there's enough data out there to be able to sort of pick up on our feeds and everything else to say hey you know, I saw you were at the rec you know, recruitment expo last week and didn't I was there, didn't manage to say hi because you were really busy. It looked like you had a successful time. Hey, have you got 10 minutes? I'd love to catch up on you, etc. Just make sure it's also though, it's not just words for the sake of words, in that if they had no relevance to being at the recruitment expo and they're talking to me about the recruitment expo where they're trying to sell me like hardware then that again sort of contradicts. So yes, do your research, but make it relevant to why that person would find it yes. interesting to talk to me about. I absolutely agree. Um, I have received a load recently, because mm -hmm. I've seen this trend as well, where they pick a random fact from my LinkedIn profile. Exactly, and it's nothing like to do with them. A testimonial, yeah. but what they're selling has nothing to do with it. Amazing. Yeah. And um, the other one I'm going to call out here, but I'd be very interested if our opinions are, are different, People keep asking, total strangers, mm -hmm. keep asking me for a chat or a catch up without actually explaining an agenda or what I'll, how I'll benefit from this. No, but worse still, and Alison, they then follow up in their nurturing plan the week later. We still have not received the time that we're due for your chat. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even see I was having a chat with you in the first place. So that really annoys me. Yes. Yes. I agree. Some of them are quite aggressive, actually, oh. aren't they? So different people, different recruiters in my network comment that they think people's response to their BD efforts mm -hmm. is changing as well. So, it, that you know, they're experiencing more hostility, more demanding, more critical, I suppose, responses or finding it just hard, as you mentioned earlier, to actually speak to an individual. Are there trends that that you th you can identify? Do you even agree with that? Do you think responses? You know that that's really that's I think is a positive here, right? Because it's really interesting. Because um, I know you did give me a wee bit of a heads up on some of the topics, and I saw that, and I thought, you know, right? When I was in the office, my team used to cringe every time I got a cold call. I was the worst person to receive a cold call. I was horrible to them. I have to admit, right? And it was because I have high expectations of somebody's got to do the research, they've got to have a reason why they're calling, and they've got to engage me really quickly. And if they don't, I'm like, come on, you can do better, right? And, I, and I'm really bad to receive that. But actually, recently, 
So although there's been a lot of automation with people hiding behind using the phone or calling, the calls I received, I found myself being less hostile to the calls I've been receiving because actually they're better. And I think what's happened to make them better is that they've been really upfront and they've mm-hmm. basically called me. So I know that they've been getting my number, et cetera, you know, I'm not <laughs> off LinkedIn, don't all call me. Um, and they're able then to call me. And then the, the first thing they say is, hey, Wendy, how are you doing? You're not expecting this call, right? So they, de- they de-arm me straight away. Mm. And I go, okay, fine right I said so you've got two choices you can either hang up right now or you can give me five seconds and let me explain but if it's no interest I'll probably collect a little bit of information from you and then we'll just part company and it's not a problem at all right even for me being the bitch of taking a cold call I'm okay with that because they've laid out my expectation I'm okay Uh and I just generally say do you know what? You've got five minutes because you've been upfront with it. I will listen to what they're saying. I'll maybe then pass them on to, I've even passed them on to, look, I'm not the person that deals with that. Just to give an indication, we're definitely not going to be able to look at that for six months, but I would probably give him a call in about a year. He may look at that in the business because I know that's when I'm scheduling it. The guy's mm. getting value from that. And it was just about managing that expectation up front about what he wanted from me and what he was calling and also not trying to fake it. Those calls that basically try to say, oh, I called you three months ago and you asked me to call you back. I'm like, really? Tell me when you called. (laughs) Yes, I've been trying to reach you all week. I don't think so. No, Um, not I'm looking for missed calls and no, there's none recorded. Sorry, liar. It's a really good point, though, isn't it? If you look at certainly some of the telephone sales techniques that I grew up with, um, they were very much focused on, you know, to have credibility, you need to be direct, you need to set an agenda for the call, you need to um, not mess around. And actually, weirdly, that's, that is really important, isn't it? I agree with you. I'd give them the time of day. So um, let's just try and leave listeners with an actionable plan shall we what do you think even for a really early stage recruitment business what marketing do you think they should they should make the time to do from the beginning so I think be realistic it is only you so you've either got a choice you either go into this if you're trying to scale your business I think there's two things if you've just started a recruitment company one of the things that I wish I had probably set my sights on or made myself really sort of face up to was, am I growing a business mm-hmm. um, for scale? And I, when I say scale, I'm looking at sort of 50, 50 employees plus to scale that, mm-hmm. right? Or am I growing a lifestyle business, which maybe might be between one and 30 to 40 employees? Because essentially, and that might taper down now that people will be very happy with a, one, a lifestyle business for one to 10. So exactly the same, but you're not trying to scale, scale there. If you're starting that and you're just growing a lifetime, lifestyle business to make some money and have a good lifestyle, says says it on the tin, then you know, you're know you're ultimately doing what you can control and what you can have the time to do and you need to invest in it. If you're trying to do it for scale, I would be seriously considering working with a marketing agency to help you with that and help you with the strategy so that you can give the ideas and you can get that um, get that sort of learn from the experts in 
and then hire somebody internally. Okay. Another big mistake that a lot of companies do is they all hire a marketeer, but they all hire them straight out of university and think it's an 18K to 25K job. Great. They can do it. And you know what? Recruitment marketing is one of the most complex marketing in the in the field of sector marketing, because we've got two audiences, you've got personas and candidates, you've got personas and clients. And, you know, gosh, how does a graduate coming out of recruitment know, should they run one blog or two blogs? Should they have, an, a, a, you know, pages for candidates or clients, or can they have one for both? That's a really hard strategic decision. And we're mm -hmm. expecting somebody from school coming down. So I think getting the help with that to set the infrastructure to scale. If you're on your own and you're doing a lifestyle business, it's about then what can you deliver? And I'd say we started off and it was only me and, you know, um, we had my co-founder in tech and I had a part-time marketeer and we just mm -hmm. went with one a fortnight in terms of one part of content. And then we started to up it once we started to see that that was, that was going well. I would turn around and say, focus now, because there's so much content out there. I wouldn't say the blog now is the winning ticket. I'd be looking at a quarterly sort of um, valuable asset in terms of putting more time into something that you can use to get leads and to add value rather than something that's there from a short term hit. Ah, right. So, for example, it might be like a, a survey um, that people download a PDF of or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. when we talk about sort of long term, we're talking, you know, you're talking about sort of 10, you know, eight to 10,000 word piece of valuable content that you can use to open up doors rather than a 200 to 500 uh, um, word, sorry, um, uh, like blog every week or every fortnight, because the return on those ones now is not as good as it used to be like, you know, five, 10 years ago. Right. That is really interesting. I'm She'll speak to my own marketing agency about that. Okay. And, and the other thing, just to be aware, and I think it is relevant, we've got to talk about it. You know, marketing is going to be a difficult time or it's going to be in a difficult place for the next year. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, you know, you can now go and we're building it into our content or we're, we're already in our, our, our product um, in terms of building that in that you can just put a topic in and say to chat GPT within the software, give me, give me a blog, right? So mm -hmm. if it's that easy and it can be done in five minutes and it looks okay, it's a bit vanilla, but it looks okay. And it's better than some of the agency blogs I've seen, right? Mm. Then that's going to flood the marketplace with lots of content. Mm -hmm. So you, it's going to be very hard to stand out from the crowd on that. So that's where I'm saying things are swapping, right? That that I would say, if you came to me five years ago, 10 years ago, the blog was immense for us, but it's not getting the same returns now. So starting a blog right now is going to be more challenging and getting a lesser return, but heavyweight content, more statistical based, more valuable that you can then sell to open the doors to get in is, is okay. definitely going to be a bit better to go. So a, a really proper bit of um, research, for example. Yeah. Okay, that's such a good point. Thank you. And I'm going to take note myself. Now, Wendy, we've spoken earlier about the um, importance of segmentation, personalization, and so forth. Um, now, final question. How can Firefish support recruiters and how should they get in contact with you? Good question. <laughs> Love the questions, favourite questions of all. So <laughs> they can absolutely get in contact either through the website, that's sparfishsoftware.com, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, no problem, and my team will then get back to you. Um, but there's lots of, you know, please feel free. There is 10 years there of really good content. Go and just get to know us as well. Um, even if you don't want a demo right now, get to know us and then, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll get a demo from us as well. In terms of how our product supports what we've been talking about, 
you know, recruiters are data businesses, but they don't know the power of the data that they've got. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we're not only a data, you know, if you're sitting there with a CRM that just is reliant on you updating that information and not using the automation, the content creation and seeing the stats from that, you're missing out on a ton. Your database will only be about 10 to 15 percent engaged where our clients are up to like, you know, 70 to 80 percent engaged. If you have more engaged database, you've got more valuable asset. And you're going to make placements quicker because they're going to be much more engaged with your agency in the first place. And that's really what the Firefish sort of message is all about. OK, thank you. And and I can personally recommend Firefish. I think it's um, the integration of marketing into that the CRM is, is really powerful. So you, if Alison. you're going to get in contact with Wendy, um, please do mention the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Wendy, thank you so much for being my guest. Much appreciated for your time. And uh, listeners, I hope you got value from it too. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.